John chapter 4, verses 1 through 30. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to drink water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given, he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to people, come, see a man who told me about everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, neighbors. How are you guys? Good. My name's Bree. I'm one of the leaders here at Neighbors Church, and I am so excited to be here with you this morning. Um, if you are new here, if this is your first time being here at Neighbors, we want to say welcome. But also, if you have been with us since the beginning, we're so glad you're all here this morning. And we just want to say hello. Um, in January, we began a study in the book of John. Our series is called Come and See. And as part of the series this morning, we're going to be looking at a really familiar uh, passage in John 4, as we just read, The Woman at the Well. So let's just pray together. God, we just thank you that this morning your spirit is here in this room. And as we read about this woman's encounter today, Lord, I just pray that we would each have our own encounter with you that you would just be so near to the brokenhearted and to, um, to those that need your touch this morning. To all of us, God, we all need your touch. And so we're just expectant at what you're going to do today, God. Uh, and we just welcome you here this morning in your name. Amen. So throughout the years, I've heard many sermons preached on John 4. Um, most of the sermons I would say focused on like the symbolism of the well <clears throat> or the conversational tools that Jesus used to pull this woman into conversation with him, right? Um, 
some, some of the sermons would focus on like the worshiping God in spirit and in truth, all really good things. But it wasn't until a few months ago, I'm just going to get some water, hang on. It wasn't until a few months ago that I began to see this story from a different vantage point, a different perspective, the woman's. So this morning, we're going to be looking at a woman who, at the very beginning of our story, she's avoiding going to this well at the beginning of the day when everybody else would have been there, right? Um, picture like a Starbucks drive through line at 7.40 in the morning and a line full of women with like ladles and buckets. And she's avoiding going to this, to this well in the morning. And instead, she's gone in the, the heat of the day when she would hope to be there alone. Um, avoiding like the stares and the looks of the other people. And she meets Jesus, right? And after one conversation with Jesus, we see this woman who at the beginning of the passage is trying to avoid being with other people to the end of the passage where she's running into the streets, proclaiming really freely about um, this man that knows everything she's ever done. And she wants to invite people to come see. So something really huge clearly happens between verse 6 and verse 29, right? So today, I want us to approach this story from the woman at the well's perspective. She's not unlike me or you, and my prayer is that by contemplating her encounter with Jesus, we would have our own. Like this woman, we can revel in the freedom that comes from knowing that Jesus knows us. He doesn't just know about us. He knows all of us. He sees all of us, including the places that we want to hide or keep back. Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. That's in John 14, 9. And Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well, it's like this graffiti explosion spraying this explosive mural for us to see of the Father's heart for the broken. We see the Father's heart through this passage. This woman, she was truly transformed by encountering Jesus' touch where she felt most vulnerable. So this is a large passage. Alexis did an awesome job reading 30 verses And we could literally spend hours and weeks delving into the details of this passage. So for this morning, my intent is to highlight the mural itself, not the individual brush strokes, but that we would walk away seeing just this incredibly beautiful image of what the Father has shown us through this encounter um, this woman has with Jesus. So the beginning of the passage, it gives us the context of the story and a glimpse of Jesus' disregard for social norms, for cultural norms. Verse 4 says, now he had to go through Samaria. And the funny thing is, just this little sentence, Jesus didn't actually have to go through Samaria to get to Galilee. There were several other roads and routes he could have taken to get there. In fact, Jews of that time often avoided going through Samaria or interacting with the Samaritan people. They considered the Samaritans to be half-breeds because they had married with the Assyrian people, and they considered themselves to be defiled if they interacted with them. In his commentary on John, Witherington says, by Jesus' day, Samaria as a land was regarded by many of the religiously observant Jews as unclean, and contact with these people, especially their women, or sharing a meal or a common cup with them was widely held to render a Jew unclean. We can be certain that the woman at the well knew that Jews saw her as inferior simply because she was a Samaritan woman. That's not a great place to be. So Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria to get where he was going, but Jesus, compelled by the leading of the Holy Spirit, often had divine appointments, right? And I believe this was one of those, that possibly Jesus had to go to Samaria because the Holy Spirit led him there to minister to a broken woman who was in need of encountering her Savior. Sometimes I think we read these stories that took place thousands of years ago, 
in places that most of us have never been or even heard of, and we forget how much we have in common with the people whose lives we're reading about, right? Even though the Samaritan woman lived in a culture that was very different from ours today, her desire to be loved and known, it's the same that sits in every single one of us this morning. We all, sitting here today, have a desire to be loved and known, and that was not different than what this woman had inside of her. In fact, the need to feel fully, known, fully known and understood is perhaps even more desperately unmet in our society as we're more readily able to present ourselves to the world through, um, like our false selves to the world through social media, right? You can put a filter on it. Psychology Today recently posted an article by Leon Seltzer entitled, Feeling Understood, Even More Important Than Feeling Loved. In his article, Seltzer writes, if we don't or can't experience others as understanding us, who we are and what we're about, then all of our other wants leave us feeling relatively meaningless. Not feeling that others really know us can leave us feeling hopelessly estranged from the rest of humanity. It may well be that feeling understood is a prerequisite for our other desires to be satisfyingly fulfilled. Without experiencing that others know us, we're left feeling alone, at times despairingly so. Loneliness is a pervasive crisis, plaguing hearts and taking lives within our current culture. The deep, abiding sense of feeling unknown or unseen has a tragic cost, which affects our lives and our families' lives and society at large. In an essay incorporated into the American Project by Pepperdine University, a study that was looking at the country's current cultural and political status, Francie Broghammer writes, economically, America is more prosperous than it has ever been. We're richer, more connected electronically, and have more information available to us than ever before. And yet, we are in the midst of a crisis that is claiming thousands of American lives, loneliness. Since the turn of the century, Americans have been dying from suicide, alcohol-related illnesses, and drug overdoses at a rate that has never been seen. In fact, suicide is now the second leading cause of death for all American teenagers and the 10th leading cause of death for Americans overall. This is sobering. You guys, from 2007 until 2017, suicide, suicide rates in our country amongst people ages 10 to 24 went up 56%. That's from the CDC, 56%. I was in my 20s before I knew somebody personally that had taken their life. And now, sadly, I can't even count on my hands the number of family and friends that I've known over the last decade that have chosen to take their lives. And while I know suicide's a co it's complicated, right? And there's different reasons that people choose to take their life. Feeling alone, though, and not understood, it's a huge factor for people who have contemplated suicide or carried it out. I would say that often the reason we feel lonely is that we hold back our true selves from those that we want to know us, right? We, we want the people in our lives that we love and that love us to know us, but we can even hold ourselves back from those that are closest to us and from petty and insignificant things to things that are serious and substantial we withhold information from others in an attempt to improve our image or preserve our image or protect our image or sometimes even just create an image that's not there. And as a result of this um, living into this false sense of, of not our complete self being, being cast out there for others to see, as a result, we become aware consciously or unconsciously that others don't really know us, right? Um, let me explain. I'm notorious from coming home from shopping trips and proclaiming how much I saved. <laughs> like, I saved 25% today, babe. 
I saved $75. And after 25 years of marriage, Pete's like, he's completely onto my decoy tactics. So now when I get home from a shopping trip and I proudly proclaim how much I saved, the first thing he always asks me is, but Brie, how much did you spend? So my hopes to divert his attention from the real issue, how much I spent, they're now crushed as he completely asks for a, a whole picture of, uh, of how much money I've spent. He wants to see the whole picture, not just a part. Um, or a more serious example, I have a close friend, and we've shared years of our life together, raised our kids, done ministry. We have a deep, meaningful relationship that's been built on um, honesty and vulnerability with each other. And one day out of the blue, she asked me to go to coffee. And I could tell by her tone of voice that she had something really important to talk about. And when we sat down together, she said, I have something really important to tell you. I have to get it off my chest. And after I tell you, I'm going to understand if after today you don't want to be friends anymore. And I was, I was terrified. My heart was racing. Like, what could she have to tell me that would be so bad that I wouldn't want to be friends anymore? Um, and so just, it was terrifying as she was taking so much time to find her words. And then finally she just said, Bree, I have a drinking problem. It's been going on for years. And she didn't think her husband or her kids knew. She was terrified that people at church would find out. She was worried that her husband would leave her, um, that people would judge her. Uh, what it would look like for her to even have to, to go down the road of, of uh, finding healing. And she was just mostly, bottom line, she was terrified that those closest to her wouldn't love her or accept her anymore. Until we feel fully known, fully known, it is impossible to feel fully loved. Until we feel fully known, it's impossible to feel fully loved. Whether there are things that have happened to us or things we've done in our past or struggles we're currently experiencing or sins our loved ones are entangled in, we all have wounds that we keep hidden, places of pain that we don't want others to see, right? places of shame that we wish we could just magic erase out of our life. And it doesn't matter if we let others know part of us or most of us. The enemy can use just that 1% that we hold back, just the 1%, to lie to us, and we think if they really knew just this one thing, like just this one person I'm holding back, then maybe they wouldn't love me. Sometimes this comes as an ac accusation from the enemy. Maybe you've heard it. She wouldn't love me if she knew. Or if I let this be known, I'm going to be all alone or I'll feel all alone. Perhaps you've even made an oath I'm just going to go to my grave. This happened to me, and I have control over this event or this past memory, and it's just, it's gone. I'm, I'm never bringing it up again. And the wounds, the wounds, they fester in us in the darkness, right? Just like how things grow in the dark, damp places, our soul wounds, they grow in the dark. And the woman at the well, she had a wound that was festering as well. Jesus knew this, and he draws her into a conversation that literally changes her life. Like one conversation, and her life is changed. So picking back up in verse 7, would you read with me? Um, can you just put verse 7 up there if we don't have that? He catches her off guard with a request for a Samaritan woman to provide him, a Jewish man, with water. And I wonder if initially she felt like, great, one more man who wants something else from me. But then Jesus, he turns the discussion to address her needs. He's the source of her living water, which satisfies the thirst of our souls forever and provides eternal life. 
So once she's pulled in by Jesus' questions and her curiosity, he tells her he has everything she's ever needed. He can satisfy her longing. He can heal her pain. He says to her, in verse 14, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's still trying to grasp what it is that Jesus wants to give her. He's speaking of spiritual thirst, and she's thinking of her physical need and the chore for coming to get the water, right? And in this moment, he catches her completely off guard again. Because before she can receive the gift of love and healing that Jesus wants to give her, salvation, there's something that he needs her to understand first. Jesus wants the woman at the well to know, I fully I fully see all of you, and I fully know all of you. I fully see all of you. I fully know all of you. How does he do this? Look again at verse 16 with me. He tells her, go and call your husband and come back. Can you just sense that there's this, like, pit rising in her stomach, right? Was she going to be disqualified from receiving the living water? I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. You guys, Jesus' words here, they're not cruel. He touches her at the exact place of her wound, the exact place that she feels vulnerable and she's hurting. Not to hurt her. Jesus doesn't touch her on her wound to hurt her or to cause her more pain. But he wants to show her that he sees and he knows what it is that's hurting her. I see what's hurting in you. I know what's hurting in you right here. And I think we can get so caught up in speculating about the specific nature of her pain and shame right? Like, why did she have five husbands? Was she widowed five times? Was she, um, did she just like to get married? But I don't think that the issue was that she had five husbands at all. I don't think that was the issue. I think the issue was that she had a thing. She had a thing, a thing that she was holding on to, a place of pain. And if Jesus if he would not have let her know that he knew about this, then she might have walked away from the well that day and always wondered, but if he knew about this one thing, that 1% or that 5%, this one thing, if he knew about this, would he have still offered me living water? Would he have still offered to heal me if he knew about this? She had a thing. And Jesus, he, in his love for her, he wants to go after, he wants to address this festering wound that's been growing. And you guys, this is the beautiful part. He offers her living water in spite of knowing the thing. He has already seen it. He knows. He's let her know. I know about that. I know what it is that you're holding on to. And I offer you living water today. Don't miss this. Jesus doesn't point out sin or pain to pronounce judgment on her. He wants to heal her. He wants to bring her from the darkness into the light. He wants to pull her up out of the pit. He wants to set her free. Later on in the Gospel of John, Jesus says this. It's beautiful. He says, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. That's in John 12. This is the heart of our Father, you guys. Remember, when we see Jesus, we see the Father. This is the heart of our Father, that no one would stay in darkness. And this is his heart for this woman. 
So after pointing to her source of shame, the woman at the well, she becomes quite aware that Jesus is not just some like regular Jewish guy she's meeting at the well this day, right? He's told her things that about her soul. So she thinks maybe he's a prophet. But Jesus wants her to know who he is. He doesn't want her to leave the well and their encounter that day without knowing who it is that she's encountered. He wants her to know who he is. He wants her to know who she is called to be. He casts a purpose for her identity. He casts a vision for her identity. He says, yet a time is coming and is now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared and blows her mind, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. The woman at the well, she's having a conversation with her Messiah, with Jesus Christ. And through Jesus' encounter with this woman, we can know, we can know, we can see that our Father does not want his children walking around with festering wounds, with places of pain and shame that stay hidden. He doesn't want this, you guys. He doesn't want us sharing with him just the part we want to share and holding back that, whatever it is, that thing. He doesn't want us holding that back. If we went to a doctor and we were hoping to receive healing from a, a serious ailment we were experiencing, we wouldn't hold back the symptoms we had that were causing us pain, right? That's why we run to the Father, not from our pain. We run to the Father, not from our pain. And when we run to the Father, we know that the Father is also running to us. The Father runs to us, and we run to the Father. The very places that often we're trying to hide from God, these are the very places that God wants to pour his living water onto. So it's like this one part that we're holding back, hoping he doesn't see. He's like, give me that part. That's the part I want to heal in you. The woman at the well, she was freed by realizing that Jesus knew her, knew her, and loved her. She was both fully loved, fully known, and fully loved. She was seen, and she was loved. And it was that truth that transformed her life. Embracing that we are fully known and fully loved before God. This heals our wounds, right? It sets us free. We can step into the light. We can step into the light without fear. And then, as we do worship, it erupts in the soul of the person who's been set free. In fact, worship is often the tool that God uses in the transformation process in our life. He'll use worship as a tool to continue that process because we know it's ongoing, right? We don't just come to Jesus and then everything is okay. We come to Jesus and there's this process of sanctification and cleaning and healing that he does in us. It's lifelong. So just as heaven sings a song over the one who turns back to Jesus, the one who turns back to Jesus offers a song to heaven. And we worship in spirit when we're made born, when we are made new and born again from above. And we worship in truth when we are in the light, when we're our true selves without fear or shame. When we give Jesus that thing. As I was preparing this part of the message, you guys, Oh, there were so many times I felt really overwhelmed by emotion. And I had to close my laptop, take deep breaths, like literally just take deep breaths, and just ask God, what is it that you want us to see in this passage? 
because I just sensed this heaviness, and not a heaviness of, of like condemnation or, or anything that was negative, but a heaviness of what Jesus wants to do here this morning. I sense that there's many that he wants to set free here this morning. And friends, I believe that God wants to reveal his heart for us, for me and for you, through this woman at the well's encounter. I believe that there's some sitting here today and you've yet to experience feeling, feeling fully known and fully loved by God our Father. And Jesus wants you to step into the light today. You can trust him. He sees all of you. It may feel like he's touching the place that's most vulnerable in you right now. I know what that feels like. Trust me, Jesus doesn't want to hurt you. He wants to heal you. He touches those places to tell us, I know what's hurting in you. I see what's hurting in you. So I want you to just let this sink in deep. This is what your father would say to you this morning. You are fully known. You're fully known. And you are fully loved. Just receive that from him this morning. You are fully seen. You are fully seen. He knows everything about you. And you're fully loved. He wants to encounter us this morning. I believe he wants to heal wounds. I know this is heavy. This isn't like the light sermon, right? He wants to heal wounds. That's what Jesus is about. He's about the eternal. He's like, let's just get to business. You've got these things hurting in you, and I can heal them. Why are you walking around with them still? He wants to encounter us this morning. He wants to bring secret sins that are not really secret because he knows about him, into the light. Because by doing that, by bringing him into the light, he can begin that process of setting us free and healing us from what's been holding on to us or keeping us bound. You guys, encountering Jesus Christ, like this woman did, it always transforms our life. Always. It is just not possible to encounter Jesus and not be changed by him. It's not possible. When we experience being fully known and fully loved by our Savior, his living water, like the text says, it washes over our souls. It's literally as if he's taken his hand, this divine hand of a father who's God, right? And he's taken his hand and just fanned it across the place that hurts on us. And as he does that, new skin grows in that wound. Like it just appears, new skin. And I'm not saying that broken places don't still hurt or that healing isn't a process, because it is, and sometimes it can be a long process. But I am saying that I know, that I know that when we encounter Jesus Christ, he transforms our lives. And the wounds, the wounds that were once festering and just growing in the dark, When we encounter Jesus, those same wounds, they just become scars that are part of his story in us. It's like after something is a scar, you can touch it and it doesn't hurt, right? It's still there. It still tells a story of where there was pain and where there was healing, but you can touch it. That's what Jesus wants to do to our pain this morning. He wants to take those wounds and have new skin grow over so that they become scars in our story. And the places that we were once desperate to keep hidden, we're willing to bring into the light for the sake of proclaiming that Jesus has set us free, right? That's why we step into the light, because we can proclaim that Jesus has set us free. Like the lyrics in an old hymn, Amazing Grace, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. When Jesus sets, our free, uh, sets us free, like this woman, we can't help but just tell our story with abandon. That's what she did, right? She said, come and see. She didn't care what they thought anymore. She didn't care what they saw anymore. Just come and see what Jesus did for me. 
Let's go back to the text in verse 27. Just then the disciples returned, and they're surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Like at this point, I think the disciples are like, whoo, there's something serious going on over there. Let's just leave that be. And then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and, sh- and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town, and they made their way toward him. You guys, this was the part of the story that just blew my mind as I studied it a couple of months ago. Because I just couldn't believe that somebody who had wanted to stay hidden in shame and, and go to a well when people weren't there so they wouldn't, you know, so that she wouldn't be seen, she's now just running through, come and see, and proudly proclaiming, he knows everything I've ever done, it's okay. Embracing she was fully known and fully loved, the woman at the well could not wait to declare that she'd encountered Jesus. She left her water at the jar, right? She dropped everything that she's doing. She's proclaimed she's met Messiah and noticed something really huge here. What was once the source of her shame, it's now the proof of her freedom. Okay, so before we know Jesus, we have the source of shame, this thing, before we encounter Jesus, but when we encounter Jesus healing that thing, that source of shame turns and it becomes proof that we've been freed. So she says, come and, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Doesn't that sentence just scream of freedom? She's free. She doesn't have to stay hidden anymore. She doesn't have to wonder if somebody sees that wound that's festering. She's been set free. Jesus sees it. He sees it all, and he loves her, and he's the one who casts identity for us. Jesus is the one who matters, and Jesus has said, I see you, and I love you, and when we encounter Jesus saying, I see you, all of you, I love you, all of you, it's like what Dan was talking about last week when we go into that desert place of solitude, and we encounter just that message of of identity that Jesus is putting inside of us. It's like it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks as much anymore, right? Because we know what our Father thinks about us, the one who made us. Fully seen, fully loved, we're set free. And there's something that just gets me choked up about the story every time. Oh, just being honest, I can't help but wonder if I was in town that day and this woman who everybody knew, who I knew, who had whatever stigma she had about her, came running back through the town to proclaim that Jesus had freed her. I just think, what would my response have really been? If I'm being honest, right? Would I have listened to her? Would I have judged her? When I've doubted her, would I have, I hope, cheered her on, stood with her? And I just wonder, what would my reaction really have been? What would your reaction be, right? I think if I'm honest, the church of my youth likely would have dismissed her and turned its back on her. I grew up in a church that, from the way that people spoke about each other, it became really clear that people that were struggling with their sin or certain sins, like, we just agree that as, as a church, sometimes we have culturally acceptable sins. Is that a thing? Like, we can talk about being angry or being jealous or not spending our money wisely, but when it comes to sexual sin or um, an affair, pornography, like, well, we're really getting in there now, right? It gets scary, But the thing is, we all have sins. And we at Neighbors Church, we are a family that's being built around the well, metaphorically speaking. And we recognize that every day, we are all in need of Jesus' grace. Every day. We don't just need Jesus' grace before we come to him. We need his grace after, as he continues those processes of healing us. 
Sometimes it takes time for his love to just sink in deep and for that to affect our lives, right? My friend Sue, she used to say this phrase, and it stuck with me for years, and I can just hear her saying it the way she said it. She would say, Bree, we have to be so patient with the process God has people in. She was such a wise woman. She is a wise woman. This is hard, though, because I think we humans, we have a tendency to not only label ourselves, right? We label ourselves, but we label those around us, and we, in re- we reinforce those labels sometimes without even knowing it. Sometimes we're just teasing, and we're reinforcing labels. But let's make a conscious effort, you guys, to be family members that not only recognize when God is doing a work in each other's lives, but we're rooting it on in each other, not being skeptics, Right? Let's be patient with the process God has us in because we're all having similar well experiences and that binds us together in love. God wants to break us out of these boxes and labels which have held us captive. So let's cheer each other on. Let's root for each other. Let's be a family that doesn't make people feel like they have to keep parts hidden. You can talk about this, but not that. No, not at Neighbors Church. Let's be a church where we can step into the light to experience Jesus' healing and cheer each other on as we do. In such a culture, we can feel safe. We can feel safe as we share these well experiences with each other. And I just, I want to speak to this this morning. I just feel like the Spirit would have me say this. We have to be careful when we share that we're sharing with, with somebody or people that we know love us or have our best interest at stake, right? We don't just do, like, 10-page social media manifestos and hope somebody, like... I mean, I know, I know you guys all know, but I just... I would hate for the enemy to get one, one more place of ground of shame in your life today. We share with people who trust and love us. And if we don't have somebody in our life like that, you do. You do have somebody in your life like that because you have this church... And today, when we close our service and there's going to be people on the sides, those people are safe. They love Jesus and they love you. So we share with people that are safe. And I don't say that to evoke more shame, but just that the enemy wouldn't have one more place to put that in your life. Um, I don't want us to miss the end here and miss this dramatic conclusion. I don't want us to end here. We, we can't miss it. This encounter that Jesus had with the woman at the well, it wasn't just about her. Her testimony drew other people to Jesus. So look again with me at verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town, and she said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And then they came out of town and made their way toward him. Did you catch that verse 30? They came out of town and made their way toward him. This woman's testimony caused other people to be curious about Jesus and what he was doing in her life. And they made their way toward him. And if we just peek ahead a little bit in the text that we're going to see next week, many in the town believed in Jesus because of her testimony and because of Jesus' word. Just a few verses later, many people came to know Jesus because she went freely through the streets proclaiming her encounter When we tell other people about what Jesus is doing in us and through us and for us, when we tell other people about what Jesus is doing in us and for us and through us, people want to come close to see. We share our stories so that others can experience that same transformation that we're experiencing or we have experienced, right? Sharing our story, it's as simple as saying, I once was blind, but now I see. And that might look a little bit different in our culture. Maybe we don't walk around saying, I once was blind, but now I see. But we can walk around and say, I once felt hopeless. I felt really hopeless. I just woke up, woke up every morning, and I felt dark. Like, I just didn't have any hope that something good was going to come. But because of Jesus, and then fill in the blank, right? Or we can say, I once was chained by fear. Like, I laid awake at night just thinking, what if this happens, and what if that happens, and what if this? But because of Jesus, I have peace, or I can face tomorrow, or I've trusted my kids to him. 
I once was bound in shame. I didn't even feel like I could look someone in the eye. Because what if they saw my thing? But because of Jesus, I can stand before people and declare that I'm clean. I once felt alone. Like maybe I was just all by myself and there was nobody that was ever really going to love me. But because of Jesus, I know I'm fully, fully, fully known. I'm fully known and I'm fully loved. I'm not alone anymore. We tell our story to point to the one who knows us and loves us and frees us. You guys, when we point to our story, people's lives are changed. Their lives are changed. They come to Jesus. They want to come see. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're like, I have a Jesus story. I actually don't feel any shame or pain. That's awesome, you guys. We celebrate. If that's you, I celebrate you this morning and the work God's done in your life. And I would say to you, so who are you telling? Are people running to see Jesus because of your story? And I'm saying that to myself too, okay? Or maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're like, I didn't even hear the second part of your sermon. It's just been like blah, 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 blah. Because all I can think about is that this thing is hurting in me. Like this thing. It's so big. I don't think Jesus can heal it. Or maybe I've asked him to heal it before and it's still here. And I'm afraid to ask him again. And I would say to you this morning, the Father is telling you, run to the Father. Run to the Father. Throw off everything you have. Leave your jar at the well. Leave whatever you have for the rest of today. Leave it behind and run to the Father. He's running to you. He doesn't want you to walk away here today with that thing. It's time for it to come into the light. It's been too many years. The enemy's won too many days. It's time to stop that. Jesus has a new chapter that he wants to give you. Enter Jesus, okay? Chapter part two, enter Jesus. Again, maybe again. Have you heard that song, I run to the Father? I fall into grace, no need to, for hiding. And he says, I run again and again and again. Run to the Father in your pain. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I don't have a second part to that sentence that you were talking about, Brie. Like, I once felt hopeless, but Jesus. I once felt chained by fear, but Jesus. Maybe you're like, I don't have that second part. I'm still afraid. I still feel alone. Or I still feel bound in shame. And I would tell you this morning, Jesus isn't done with your story. He wants to give you a, another part to that sentence. He wants to give you a testimony to declare so that other people can come to him. Yeah, so I just, I want to pray over us this morning. I am, I'm believing, I'm expecting. We were in pre-gathering prayer this morning, had just an incredible um, awareness that the Holy Spirit is present this morning and that he wants to do some soul work. He wants to do some soul work. You've come to the great physician this morning. He, you don't even need to tell him what's hurting. He already sees. You just need to sit in that and sit in the fact that your healer knows what needs healing in you this morning. And I would just say, don't walk away. Don't walk out these doors this morning without encountering Jesus and the touch that he wants to give you, the touch that he wants to, to, he wants to run his fingers down your wound. Dan had this vision of just a, a child, and as the child's walking, there's this hand of the father, and, 
and we just, the little hand of the child was inside the hands of the father. And I would just say to you this morning, I just, if I could come take your physical little child hand that you had when you just, you know, the world hadn't touched you in all those places that have caused pain yet. And I would just take your hand and just put it in the father's and say, walk with him. He's here for you this morning. He's right here. So I'm going to pray for us, okay? And then after I pray, um, I want us to come up to the table right away this morning, and I want you to grab the bread and the, dip it in the cup, and as you're holding the elements, as you're holding the elements and you're thinking about these things and how it is that Jesus would want to encounter you, um, would you just be open to the fact that you are holding the things in your hand that represent the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ? You're, holding, you're going to be holding in your hands the symbols for what makes a way, the cross. The cross of Jesus made a way for you this morning to come out of a pit, to be brought out of the darkness. And so we're going to sit with those elements in our hand, or stand, we're going to stand and worship with those elements in our hand, and I want you to just contemplate what it is that Jesus wants to do in your life this morning, and then Dan's going to come up and lead us in communion. Jesus, Thank you that through this encounter, we can see the heart of our Father. Thank you that we can know that no matter what kind of dad we've even had on this earth, that we can look to stories like this and know that you are a good father. You're a good father who doesn't want his children walking around with, with wounds and places of pain. You want to go right after that thing that thing that's keeping us from walking in the fullness of light, and you want to pour your living water on it. So this morning, Jesus, Waymaker, Waymaker, Life Giver, the one who gives us identity, the one who says you fully see us and you fully know us and we're loved, we just come to you. You're safe. You're safe this morning. We can trust you with our wounds. You want to you wanna bring healing to those places that hurt. And so I just pray, God, that right now your Holy Spirit would move over this place. And that as people become aware of those places that are hurting in them, that there would just be this incredible safety and peace that floods souls knowing that they can run to the Father. You're safe. You're a good Father. And we come to you this morning. We want to encounter you. We're begging to encounter you that we would walk out changed, that we could tell stories of transformation, and we're trusting you, God, that when we ask to encounter you, you are faithful to encounter us. Come, Jesus, in your name.